Who knows what Jay-Z, J.K. Rowling, Bill Gates and Oprah Winfrey all have in common? Okay, I will tell you then. They have all overcome failure in one shape or form to go on to gain success in their respective careers. Welcome to My Perfect Failure. Join us as we delve into the world of our perfect failures. We will interview, explore, and discuss how our perfect failures can lead us to success. Join us and tune in. Welcome to another edition of My Perfect Failure. Today, I've got a fantastic guest, somebody that I've been so keen to have on My Perfect Failure. This guy is super, super busy. He's got a million strings to his bow. He's a journalist, filmmaker, director, producer, consultant, founder of the Black Collective of Comedia, The Blacklist. His name is Leon Mann. Leon, have I missed anything out? I'm sure I have. You missed the sports people's think tank, but don't worry about okay, it. Okay, okay. There's just too many things. I've also yeah, founded a corporate governance course with some help with some brilliant colleagues who are driving that forward without me now but um but yeah i mean to, to, to summarize yeah i'm a bit of a juggler i keep saying that i think the the posh way is to, to call it a portfolio career um that's at least what i've been calling it um at the various talks and things i've been doing but yeah i mean i just kind of get get excited about opportunities um and just get on with trying to do things I, I i sort of had the benefit of talking to you probably about a month or so ago or maybe a little bit longer and it was you know, I just got energy from talking to you about all the various things that you were doing, all the things that you've got planned. And as as you were talking, I was thinking, how does this guy fit everything in? Because there was so much, uh, you know, it's just amazing stuff that you were doing. So, um, you know, I was just super impressed by that. Thank you. Thank you. It's really nice to say, man. Um, it's, it's, um, yeah, this wasn't really part of any kind of plan. I'm not going to pretend. Um, we're going to come on here so there's some big strategy behind any of this. It's it's really just about feeling passionate about things, um, asking the question of why no one else is doing it, um, exploring if anyone is doing it and you just don't know about it, see how effective the, the work that they've done has been, um, see if you can work with them. Um, and if all those questions, you know, come out with the answer of you need to do this yourself, or you need to find partners, or you need to just drive this particular bit of work forward, then um, I've got a habit of just getting on with it and just um, doing things which are, I guess, high impact. Um, but the challenge, as always, is making these things sustainable. And that's what I'm trying to work on at the moment. You know, many of the things that, that we're talking about um, in terms of the not-for-profit work that I do um, doesn't have any funding. So um, I've spent a lot of time recently kind of speaking to people about how can we get these things funded? And people assume that they are funded mm. um, because, you know, on, on the face of it, I'm not going to say they've, 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 um, they've, they've changed the industry um, in terms of an end result, but they've certainly helped to make sport and football better, I believe. Um, and the engagement that we get from people right across the industry at the highest level um, reflects that people take it, you know, seriously, you know, and, and although we've got lots of progress to make, you know, I, I think um, the conversation and the will is certainly there. Yeah, it t- totally. I, th- I think the work that you're doing now, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's so important because of the world that we're in now, that diversity, you know, isn't there, you know, it, sh- it should be. And I think there needs to be, you know, if we had, you know, a, a million Leon Mann, that's, kind of, that's a clearly very ambitious. The jigsaw, the puzzle would be a lot closer to, be, to being complete. What I just wanted to, to, to mention before we get into sort of the, sort of the, the meat and potatoes of this particular ep- episode is that when I sort of became aware of you, I realised that a lot of the content and the wonderful stuff that you've put out there, I was already privy to. I'd already watched a lot of it. You know, you've done the, the wonderful documentary with Usain Bolt, the fastest man who ever lived, which I loved. Uh, you got to work with my, Michael uh, Johnson and out, I believe, as well. The the story with Jim, Jermaine Defoe when he goes back to, I think it was to St. Lucia. Um, the the uh, Andy Cole story, the, the, the work you've done with ITV, BBC, and sort of, the, you know, all the various newspapers. So, so a lot of people that we tune into this potentially will know you anyway but some actually they definitely know the body of work that that you've put out today but because of your your passion 
for diversity because you're a journalist by trade right that's your yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That, that that i guess in, in terms of writing my profession down when i'm doing my immigration forms going to a different country <laughs> whatever <laughs> i normally so <laughs> that could it's uh, dangers as well in many countries but yeah yeah that's that's kind of um, um i guess my 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 base profession yeah and and because of the, your sort of i guess awareness of the challenges with diversity you've navigated into all these different areas and done a fabulous job today and you're continually doing and so it, I, I just it just it suddenly occurred to me before we were connecting that because of what you found which we're going to get into in a second you've just become this sort of spokesperson for getting all the various pieces of the, of the jigsaw together to make society particularly in the sports journalism not well, I guess the sports media field together and say look this is a problem let's 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 fix it to talk about a problem, to identify a problem, um, is one part of mm. saying something. Um, it is easy to say mm. you're outraged about the lack of black managers. It is easy to say you're outraged about the lack of black journalists. And many people don't do that. Many people don't even get to that stage in terms of saying publicly, this is not right. We need to address this. Um, but we, we can't just leave it there. Yes, we can demand things of the football authorities, sports authorities, whoever it may be who has um, responsibility and accountability in that space. Um, but I firmly believe, and this is why I guess I've set these things up, is um, we can't rely on them. You know, yeah. history tells us that we cannot rely on people to address the problems that are important to us as a black community. Mm. Um, scrap that, not even a black community, as a community. Because, yeah. you know, um, the lack of diversity impacts all of us. If you are a white working class male, if you're a white middle class male listening to this, the lack of diversity in football, the lack of diversity um, in the power structures um, of our country impacts you. It absolutely impacts you because every single piece of research out there by any respected academic in this space tells us um, that a diverse group of people, that diverse leadership makes better business. And that can be the better business of football in terms of what happens on the pitch. And that can be the better business of running a football club. And that can be the better business of ensuring fans have a better um, experience when they come to a game. You know, so you are part of this, whoever you yeah. are, whoever you are. So, um, so you know, we, we, we need to make sure that people understand that. And from my perspective, you know, how do we not only bring bosses the problem in terms of giving them a firm understanding of that, but how do we also present solutions to those bosses um, and give them the confidence to trust us to be part of the solution um, in delivering that? Because at the moment, we have a leadership in this football industry, in the sports industry, that lacks diversity. I mean, let's face it, we're still talking about women as a diverse group. This is 50% of the population of the world, and we're talking about them being a minority. Mm. So even that tells us, you know, that if we are struggling um, with gender diversity, then we have a huge, huge challenge in front of us in terms of recognising the other diversity um, of the country and how we get that into the leadership and all areas of sport totally and it's, it's interesting that you were saying then in relation to wider society understanding that we're all part of the diversity algorithm that we all sit together because you know i'm just i guess i'm talking from well i can only talk from my perspective that i don't think that everybody understands that sometimes people just hear the word diversity and they don't think potentially it applies to them that they that actually I, I guess what what triggered was the fact that actually a diverse society is we all benefit from that I think that's the that's for me that totally resonates because that's why I love the UK I love the fact that it's diverse I love the fact that I can get knowledge from different pools of 
you know, whether it, you know, my my sort of family are sort of West Indies, but I was born in in London, but raised in Basingstoke, and sort of it's not as diverse as some some other parts of the country, but there is some elements of diversity, and I I love that, and I think that I think that we should treasure that, and it's it's a, it's it is a, a real shame that you 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 wrote a wonderful piece in the Guardian, which I came across, which is. Uh, we need people in power to show they care about diversity, and it's and it's you know those people in power they shouldn't. I don't know why, but they should embrace the idea of having a rich, diverse work workforce who can bring all kinds of different elements to to to, to make their businesses like flourish. Yeah, absolutely, and and you know I've got to say that there there there, there does appear to me to be a will from those people in power um as in they they talk about you know we need to sort this out um we need to address the lack of diversity within um our businesses um however you know they they they're not set up to do it they're not mm. set up to do it we're asking for white men um often for white middle class men or or however many um as mm. a board to address an issue they have zero expertise often in. And that's not to say a white man can't have expertise in this area, but often, um, you know, the people who are um, at the top just don't have an expertise in this area. Yeah. So uh, then it comes to a matter of, right, well, okay, are you prepared to to find expertise and pay for expertise? Because what's missing in all of this is, right, has accountability is one. So has anybody ever heard of a top, top boss um, or middle management, doesn't matter, being removed from their job, sacked from their job because they have not delivered on diversity? Never. No, never. I've never heard of that. No. And that's the kind of accountability that we need, right? Because Absolutely. Absolutely. You, don't, you don't meet your business performance indicators. If you do not meet them, mm. then you will be removed from your job. That goes for anybody. It doesn't matter. You could be a dustman. If you ain't picking up mm. their bins in the right way, you're gonna you're gonna get the the heave ho, right? Same way if you're a top executive and your business is failing, um, in terms of it's not making as much money as it can or it's not performing in the way that's expected, then you will be removed from your job. Now, businesses are not performing in the way that are accepted uh, are expected um, around diversity, and that, by the way, also has an impact on the money that's coming into your business mm. because if the research exists to say right as a business you know you will perform better if you have a diverse leadership if you have diverse people in middle management then we are missing an opportunity to be better as a business and as a result make more money so the penny has to drop with people that this is an essential part of business and my area is the business of football yeah um but this applies to all areas of business. Um, and by being diverse, that diversity of thought will make football better, 100%. And we will be talking about this in 20 years when we have, hopefully, a much more diverse leadership, a much more diverse um, group of people um, who are more representative of the incredible talent that we have on the pitch. Yeah, to I totally concur with that. It, it, you know, my, my insight into this field is limited in terms of research, but I totally embrace the idea of a more diverse, harmonious community, um, and uh, and the idea of KPIs put in place where people at the, the top of the food chain are or or this a task to. To, to ensure that diverse diversity is a major pillar of their structure um and because i think businesses having worked in businesses still work in a business in a business i'm not sort of bring them into into it but i think i guess from the outside looking in businesses focus on bottom line bottom line bottom line and unless they have like what you've said some sort of you know significant accountability in place then not for all, but for some, diversity will just be a, a, a word that passes through one ear and out the other. For me, this this all has to be about business, right? Mm. You know, um, as much as I'd love it to be about doing the right thing, 
actually, I completely understand this is all about business. And by doing it to do the right thing, actually, is the wrong reason. Because why would you bring someone into your business if they're not going to make your business better? So yeah. if I'm saying bring in a black, Asian, you know, disabled, LGBT person into your business and they're saying why? And I'm saying, well, it's because it's, you know, it's out of order that people aren't represented. And they'll say, well, actually, our business is performing well. So why would we risk that? Then actually, you know, arguably, they're, they're, the, the argument of doing the right thing doesn't stand up. Mm. All the research is out there to say by bringing in these people, you have a diversity of thought. You have a more thoroughness of process as a result of that diversity of thought. So you will make better decisions. And your business will prosper as a result of that. So this is a logical argument for people mm. to get their head round where it will make them more money in business wise. Their business will perform better. You know, is it any surprise that when teams have the opportunity and the financial resource to um, go shopping all around the world for professional footballers that we have a richly diverse Premier League? why what you know those teams are successful because of the diversity of the people within their groups <laughs> you know um that's interesting 100 percent. when we look at who is winning world cups when we look at who are in the finals of world cups they are diverse groups of people time and time and time again so we are we have it under our nose in terms of you know where diversity is 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 um, bringing success yeah, the way that you describe it, actually, businesses should be excited about the opportunity of diversity to have that. You know, you're not you're not sort of as you've rightly said, you're not. You know, it's not about creating a an artificial playing field. It's it's about having, in my in, I guess in my eyes, the opportunity to select from this wonderful pool of a diverse range of people that have all these wonderful skill sets and actually within that you know the 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 you know ethnic and diverse groups are a part of that and actually if i i'm not a business owner but if i was a business owner the idea that i can select from the entire community would excite me because that, that would mean for my potential business i've got a wonderful opportunity of being successful so I, I guess what I'm keen keen to do there's 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 so much that you've done we're not going to fit it all in but certainly there are some cornerstones of what you've been doing that I hundred percent would like to cover. One of those I, I mentioned at the top of the show I didn't mention everything but one of them I mentioned was Bcom. So could you maybe give us a, a little idea and the audience some ideas about that? Yeah. Okay. Well. Um, I, my first job in football was at Keep Racism Out Football. So I was a, a campaigner, an anti-racism campaigner. And off the back of that, I moved to the BBC. Uh, now, initially, I always wanted to be a sports journalist. That was one of the, you know, I'm all right. I wanted to be a footballer, but <laughs> I wanted to be a um, sports journalist as well. I never really knew it until I reviewed, like, I was writing match reports on the games I was playing as a 13, 14-year-old. You know who was wow. playing where, who did what, etc. I didn't equate it to being a sports journalist at the time. I didn't even think I was doing journalism <laughs> at the time. But you know, because of a, um, I guess, a poverty of aspiration, because of a lack of visible role models who I could relate to. Mm. You know, so it's, it's great to say that Garth Crooks was there, but Garth Crooks had played hundreds of games at the top level in football. So my yeah. belief was you had to become a professional footballer to then work in the media. And do that job so it was therefore not an option for me so um so when i worked to kick it out i had contact with people like rodney hines at the voice like darren lewis at the mirror um and others and um my aspirations then changed um and i thought right well i actually could become a sports journalist um and thanks to um, a brilliant woman called shelly alexander she um, was a very senior person um still is a very senior person at bbc sport she said she encouraged me massively to apply for a job, but it was a it was a it was an entry level job, so I went for this entry level job, got it. Um, it was a big pay cut for me at the time in relative terms, but it was well worth it in terms of my career progression. Um, but I got into the BBC, um, and I felt there was a bit of like a whispering culture amongst the the few black staff that were there. It was a 
a very non-diverse space for me, where people would share that they were uncomfortable with the lack of diversity in the in the work environment. However, in terms of like drilling down into what are we going to do about it, you know, people had you know previously tried things I think in the past, but they'd done it as an individual. So you know, I I, I gathered everyone for a meeting at Soho Hotel in two thousand and eight. We had about 10 people there from not only the BBC, but across the industry. This is an industry-wide problem. And um, off the back of that, we all thought, right, okay, well, let's stand together. Let's approach some bosses. Let's get some conversations going on about the lack of diversity and the ideas to address that. And, you know, off the back of that, Becomes was born and it's 10 years later now. So we've made some, some, some progress within that time, but clearly, you know, not enough progress. I mean, look, it's not our responsibility. You know, we're a group of... Mm unpaid individuals who are volunteers um and we're doing what we can and we massively help lots of lots of individuals because countless individuals into getting jobs getting support within jobs etc but in terms of you know where we are today you know things have shifted in a, in a very small way but they have shifted i mean just the other morning was from sky sports news mike wedderburn and jessica Crichton hosting in the morning so two black presenters together you know, when I did the Euros in 2016, I'm stood there with Christian Carambo and Louis Sahar. That is like a black segment um, within mainstream, you know, um, peak time television um, during a, a tournament. Those things just frankly did not happen in the past. Um, yeah. We have shifted things a bit, but <clears throat> nowhere near where it needs to be. I mean, just one black sports writer out 63 went to the World Cup. Three were BAME within that 63 and three were women within that 63. So you can see the lack of diversity um, there. But, you know, in terms of BCOMs, it's just a vehicle, really, to make sure that we are standing together and we are presenting solutions and we are continuing to lobby the game and, and also, you know, support and mentor young people. So I, I, don't, I don't know that you, you know, that, which is a fabulous, fabulous job. A couple of things spring to mind. So you have the conference so is, mm. the, is it the, the d word conference is that is that, that's part of bcoms is, is that correct yeah that's that's right that, that's kind of like the um um the, the the main thing that we do we do it every two years at the moment we, we release some research into the major events um across the summer to kind of underline what the situation is unsurprisingly every time we underline that situation it shows a real lack of diversity um it has shown some progress recently mm. the last report we had showed that there was, a, um, a, I think it was like a, a significant, it was like a, a, an 11% increase um, for women in the sports media. Um, oh, 11%. When we drilled into that, though, you know, it was white women, you know, so okay. it's the type of woman. Um, now, that's not to say, mm. God, that, that, look, of course, we still welcome that. That's amazing. That's great. Mm. It shows that when people give a damn, things can change. So, you know, in terms of that, that female movement, which is a largely white movement, I have to say, and um, there's some work to be done on that from my perspective, from the outside looking in. And I know that people are working hard to try and address that. There is progress. I mean, look at, you know, the BBC's big launch, Summer of Sport, and with an all-female event, you know, which was fantastic, highlighting their wonderful female talent. But even there, you can drill down into it and just go, right, well, you know, pretty much all of those women that you have on that stage are all former athletes so um what are we saying to young black and white women who aren't former athletes who want to be presented um who want to be reporters who want to be top producers top directors you know we need to think about that dynamic as well unless you know we're saying actually we're not interested in that pool of people so you know there are always improvements but you know i i think um we should be heartened and encouraged by the progress that we identify with white women but you know we need to talk more loudly quite clearly about black women you know what what are the challenges facing um black women asian women um you know those with disabilities lgbt like i say and um and make sure that all areas of um this area are are, are addressed properly when you were talking earlier i it, it, because i'm sports you know i I, I was, I'm sort of a frustrated footballer, so never, <laughs> never, never sort of migrated to that ability to be able to <laughs> put on a pair of boots and run out. Yeah, I support, no. I support Southampton. So in those days, it'd been running out at the Dell. Yeah, now, great, great. Now, 
yeah now St Mary's but um that would have been a wonderful thing to do but when you were talking about your aspirations to sort of become a journalist and then because I I hadn't thought of it like this but you that there wouldn't have been any well one or two if any sort of black or ethnic journalists who were who were were non-footballers in that area so and I'm just thinking about it in 2019 that obviously there's a few more but there'll be kids out there that potentially have aspirations of becoming a sports journalist but they need that visibility of seeing more people from their own culture in those in just invisible roles and then they will think actually this is achievable because what we don't want is young guys that have those aspirations just thinking well you know there's nobody there for me really to look at or maybe do something else which actually i'm not that interested in but it's you know you know that i'm never it's never going to happen for me i hadn't thought of it like that so definitely i applaud you for shifting shifting the needle there and actually being visible for youngsters um from you know from from the community that want to actually become journalists yeah, well, I mean, that, that that's, that's you know, a big part of what Becoms is all about, highlighting the people that we do have, celebrating those people that, that we do have who, you know, largely aren't really celebrated by the mainstream journalism community for whatever reason. Mm. So, um, so addressing that is, um, is, a, is, is a big thing. And, and it kind of leads on to talking about the football blacklist. Yeah. Because football blacklist is all about that. Football blacklist is all about highlighting um, those who are achieving things away from the pitch. So even the players that we do celebrate, we're not celebrating them because they were good at football. We're celebrating them because of the work they do off the pitch. What are they doing in their communities? What are they doing with their voice in the way that we see Raheem Sterling doing some amazing things right now? Mm. You know, how are people um, making an impact? But one of the messages that I need to, to, to make sure that is um, amplified is if you want to be a doctor, if you want to be a lawyer, if you want to be a teacher, if you want to be a community worker and you love football, you can do those jobs in football. If you are a fantastic, um, you know, engineer, if you're a fantastic um, person with computers, you can do those jobs in football. That is the message that we need to get out to our communities because I think because of the lack of diversity we see in coaching and management, um, that we see... Um, outside of the playing community, um, our community is not engaging with football and football definitely isn't engaging with the black community. Um, and we need to address that because it is beyond in- uncomfortable, beyond uncomfortable to go to a game, to go to a playing facility, be that a training ground or be that a football stadium and walk through an entirely white staffing of a football club and then watch 11 mm. players on the field of play mm. you know that is incredibly uncomfortable and the message that subliminally or even directly sends to not only young black kids um but also young white kids and white people um, and yeah. everyone is black people athletes white people decision makers leaders thinkers that is yeah. an incredibly dangerous situation um, and we need to address that. And I'm glad that I am part of trying to address that. I'm glad you are as well. And I'm glad that we're having this discussion because the more, because even I'm, I say even I'm, you know, the more that you talk, the more that I'm learning. But I guess what I would like to do is on the show notes, I can put details for BCOMs and footballers black blacklist so people if they want to follow mm. and you know if they want to get in touch or they're, they're, potentially there are people from these communities that might have stories positive to tell you or areas where they might seek guidance on is yeah, that okay yeah. to sort of put those in the show notes yeah please do please do I mean um you know we, we are we don't have a resource but I, I say we're under resource we don't have any <laughs> <laughs> um, but that is changing. However, 
you know we are able to get back to people and we really would like as much engagement as possible because mm. you know quite simply when people say how can we help how can we get involved I, I i will always say just join our mailing list just follow us on social media because we get opportunities and we our role is to share those opportunities mm. our role is to hold events and then people need to turn up you know that's the commitment that they show and once they turn up they will meet people who will help them get into football if they want to um yeah. 100% people who come to our events you know it's interesting they start on a journey by finding out about us then they come to our events then they come back to another event then they've met somebody who is um able to get them at least on the radar of the football industry um and at that point it's up to them and then what we've seen is people have got jobs because the football industry is looking for candidates who are BAME, um, who are female, um, and of course they're not saying, well, we give you a job because you're black. It, obviously, it doesn't work mm -hmm. like that. Um, but they are looking for people who bring something different to their business. Um, and I'm not saying football's like, you know, falling over itself to do that. It's still on a journey, right? But there are good people who are engaged with BCOMs who are looking for people. So if people are coming to BCOMs, people are coming to Football Blacklist, you know, then they will connect with people that will give them a great opportunity to get into football or they can come and then they can be the messenger that takes the message back into their communities to help others, you know, find a way into football. Because, you know, when I was a young kid, um, when I was a young man, you know, how would I get involved in the football industry? Mm. You know, I often think about why did I go to the kick racism out of football campaign as my route into football? Mm. Why didn't I go to... Liverpool Football Club, Manchester United Football Club, Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, Leighton Orient Football Club, Barnet Football Club. I love football. I wanted mm. to be in football, but I did not approach any of those those clubs. I didn't go to the FA, I didn't go to the Premier League, EFL. I went to kick racism out of football. Why? Because I felt comfortable going somewhere where I felt there would be black people. That, yeah. is, that was why that was a routine for me. And that is a routine for so many black people. Um, through kick racism out of football, through doing work around racism. But it shouldn't necessarily have to be that way. Black people shouldn't be defined by our experiences of racism. You yeah. know, we are skilled people. You know, I'd like to hope that there's someone who's listening to this with some skill set um, that they think, oh, well, that, how does that apply to football? You know, how does fixing computers or how does, you know, whatever it might be apply to football? And actually for them to think after this going, well, oh, geez, I could do that for my football club. That'd be great. I'd be in and around my football club. And then it's funny, once you're in at a football club, they're, they're relatively small workplaces, um, the majority of football clubs. So it's funny how you see someone join in one capacity and the next minute they're in a completely mm. different capacity. And then we start moving things then we start shifting things. But if people aren't thinking creatively from within the game in terms of how they're kind of being visible to communities, if people within communities aren't thinking creatively about their own skill sets, you know, people will be sat listening, thinking, oh, right, well, I'm not a football coach, so how am I going to get a job at a football club? Look at a football club. You walk through the door, there's all sorts of different jobs. Every kind of job imaginable in there. I wish um, BCOMS was around when I was a youngster. Maybe I'd, because I love football, you know, maybe I'd, I'd have some affiliation with Southampton now sort of doing something it's so. never too late my friend it's never too late. <laughs> too late I mean it's not for everyone not everyone wants mm. to work at their football club actually some people really like the distance um mm. that space between right I work Monday to Friday and I really look forward to going into my football club at the weekend mm. and that is the dynamic for 99.9% .9 of people um but what I wouldn't like to be the case is for people out there to to think god I really fancy working at a football club, be it my football club or whichever one, um, and then think, well, actually, how, how do I go about that? And, geez, I haven't got the right skill set and, you know, it's not going to work. You know, if there is a feeling of, oh, I'd really like to work at, you know, that football club or at a football club, then people need to be looking in the right places for those jobs um, and they need to kind of, you know, like any job, you know, back yourself in terms of putting yourself forward for that and, and um you know, BCOMs, a football blacklist. I would like those organisations to be um, in a position one day to be able to have enough staff to be able to just be advising people mm. and then supporting them when they're in the business. Yes, totally. And there might be people that 
are listening to this that might want to sort of, I don't know, get some level of interaction with BCOMs where they understand that the resource resources are limited, but they might want to help in some way support what you're doing. So I guess um, that that might be something that's quite that's quite cool. So, some something that I wanted to touch upon because I thought this was amazing. You you recently ran a masterclass for about twenty youngsters, that I, which I which I found was amazing. Can you maybe sort of give us some insights into that? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, as BComs, we've largely held conferences, um, we've held networking events, we've been lobbying bosses. Um, building relationships but one of the things we hadn't done is we hadn't done anything practical in terms of like passing on our knowledge and experience to the next generation um, it was always an idea that was floated but because we're unfunded it's difficult to do um, and also you know working with young people is is is, is not as easy as people think you know I, I, I grew up with you know both my parents were teachers so I kind of have a, have a bit of an insight and understanding into um, the profession of teaching, and I think it was it potentially dangerous. I always felt to be putting people up in front of young people who were not used to working with young people. However, we had a discussion, we got some funding, and we went for it. Um, and it's very much kind of like a pilot, I guess, in terms of the the first master classes. And we delivered. We meant to deliver ten. We delivered like thirteen in the end because wow. so many people wanted to get involved. Young people on the uh, master classes were absolutely fantastic. I'm delighted to say of the 20, 11 were women. So, um, you know, BAME women, women from different groups, you know, and we've, you know, they've all formed a bit of a community, you know, um, amongst them. So they're supporting each other. And many of them are getting opportunities. And when I say opportunities, you know, I'm talking about, you know, taking, doing Instagram takeovers. Um, helping social media companies find an original voice, um, writing for um, publications. Um, they're in at, you know, broadcasters doing some shadowing. So, you know, it's, it's, it's been great. It's been really good. And we're now in discussions um, to try and do those masterclasses for between 40 to 50 people um, next year. Or I'll say next year, it might be even this year. Um, Incre- incredible. Um, and um, the frustration that I have is that um, the industry says, oh, we can't find the people. We can't find, Leon, we can't find any good BAME diverse people. Um, you know, we've tried, mm-hmm. but it's really mm-hmm. difficult. Can you help us? Now, I understand where they're coming from in, in, in some respects um, because, you know, for a lot of you know, BAME people, they kind of look at these broadcasters or newspapers and they go, well, historically, you haven't exactly treated us well. Um, historically, you know, we haven't really been involved. You haven't really felt to involve us. So where do I fit in this business? Where do I fit? So maybe I'll, so, so people can be standoffish. You know, it's, it's no surprise when we, when the messenger is right and on the right platforms, you do find people. You know, we had no problem finding our 20 um, BCOMs um, masterclass people um, at Give Me Sport Women. You know, Benny Bonsu, who is the editorial lead or she, she's the editor of Give Me Sport Women. You know, she puts a tweet out. You know, I looked at that tweet and looked at the success of it. You know, she had like 50 women. She asked for women. She had 50 women come forward to um, to see if they could get freelance work with Give Me Sport Women. Now, that's off the back of a tweet. Now, other broadcasters are just putting it on their website, tweeting it out. Um, and they're not getting the same level of engagement. Now, that's all to do with the messenger. It's all to do with the reputation of the people who are trying to promote um, the message. So, you know, for, for me, with these masterclasses, um, we can help with that pipeline. It's not the solution, the sole solution, but it's definitely part of it because we can help to get these people into the industry, albeit at entry level because they are young people, um, so that's why I say it's not the complete solution. It's part of it. And then we start to make a difference. Then we start to make a difference. Um, but what's missing in all of this for BCOMs is we don't have an organizational funding. So without organizational funding, it means, yes, we can be out of colleges and universities, but outside of when we're having our paid work because, you know, we've got families to feed. Yeah, so totally. if, you know, 
it was upon DCMS or Sport England or whoever it was to find organisational funding for ABCOMs, it would be game-changing in this industry because then we could be out every single day working in colleges, universities, workplaces, housing associations, you know, basically all over the place, identifying people, inspiring people, supporting people to take up um, potential opportunities to get themselves trained up and we could deliver that training um, to um, to become involved in the sports media in some capacity. And that is what's missing at the moment. But we are hoping to make a change over the next year. That sounds in, in, incredible. You must be incredibly proud the fact that you guys pulled this off, got 20 youngsters on this masterclass program. They've all have been doing stuff since. And actually, and when you see the progression from when they started to stirring their first for a career in this space, that must be that must be awesome for you and you know your colleagues at Becoms. Yeah, I mean, I must I must admit, you know, being in the room with everyone um, and feeling that energy, you know, like we you know, over at BT Sports Studios, they gave us one of their studios to do a masterclass in. Um, then we've you know been at IMG for the day over in Stockley Park with Craig Mitch um, delivering a session. You know, Reshman Chowdhury delivered a session for us. Darren Lewis invited everyone into the mirror and did a masterclass there. I mean, you know, I could go on and on. I'm going to forget someone, so I'm going to not list off all of the, the the masterclasses. But you do feel proud. But equally, you step away and kind of think, God, oh, listen, this 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 as, as as much hard work goes into this, this is not that hard to do. Mm. so why aren't we doing more of it and if we know that these things can work then you know let's find some money to be able to fund these things to make the difference that's needed because you know i I live in a constant state of frustration because you can see you can see what's going to change things Mm, Um, and and yet you, you go to about 25 30 40 meetings to get to the place where somebody else understands and i know that this other people have different priorities in their work in their life however it is frustrating to be part of a process where you're you're constantly trying to convince people that this is going to be something that will be game changing and it's not necessarily just about looking around your office and feeling good because you have you know an office that actually looks like the city that you're based in or the sport that you cover this is about better business and this is about um you know ensuring that you know all communities can have you know are encouraged to have aspirations beyond the limited ones that that i think many currently have we're moving in the right direction now i hear that frustration um you would hope that businesses that would or i don't know whether it would be private or government organizations would understand this wonderful work and be able to be either donations or grants whatever it may be to support something like this where you see diverse youngsters give being given an opportunity and you see the regret the progression and also as you were talking i was thinking that if businesses particularly businesses that aren't that skilled at understanding diversity and knowing how to be a part of the conversation if you've got something some somebody like becoms who sat there doing a wonderful job actually this is a little vehicle for you to get in to to partner up and actually help drive the conversation and also what they're getting they're getting the the insights and they're getting the growth of these youngsters who are finding a, you know like a wonderful career path that previously would have seemed blocked for me the biggest thing i think that becomes brings is expertise and credibility credibility is is, is a big thing at community level you know who, who is this who's coming to speak to us and it can feel condescending and patronizing at times if done in the wrong way if you're sending the wrong messengers into communities becomes strong belief or firm belief as a board is we need to send in people who are from those communities who have lived in those communities who understand the barriers yeah. and the mindset yeah. now okay. that's not to say that all of these media outlets can't find a black staff member to do that you know or a black diversity expert to do that um, but they're not doing it 
they're not doing it. They're 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 talking about we can't find anyone. They're talking <laughs> about the frustration of well, we put it up on our website, and we don't get many applications. You know that narrative has been there for you know a long long time, and I get the impression sometimes that when you talk to people about well, how are you going to change things? What are you going to do? I can I can see that they're thinking well, we don't do that for other white people, so why would we do we do it for the, a black a group a black group of people? And actually, I wish they'd asked that question because the answer is very easy. Listen, if you look at history, if you look at the treatment of black people, of women, um, then you'll understand that actually we've had our hands and our feet tied for hundreds of years. And now you're expecting us to compete as equals um, all of a sudden without acknowledging, you know, the way that, that we have uh, have been held back as communities for such a long time deliberately structurally so because of all of this history it does mean that you have to you know balance things if you if you know what i mean it does mean you have to make extra effort with that group because while you as an individual may not understand this you have benefited from a system that has deliberately closed doors to black people deliberately closed doors to women and if you're a black woman bloody hell you've had two doors closed to you yeah. so you have to you have to go about changing things in the same way where physically if you want disabled people to be part of your business you physically might have to change your your business you might have to put a lift in and that might cost money but tell but you know what if you're going to be open to everybody if you're going to ask for money from all communities then that's what you're going to have to do and if you're not going to do that then your business will fail it might not fail in the next 5 years 10 years but trust me I think they're talking about one in three um, people in the UK will be BAME or, you know, by, was it 2050 or something like that. So it's it's coming. It's changing. You know, it's, it's, it's it, I mean, look, you need to double check that fact because that was off the top of my head. I, I did hear it and I'm thinking it's around that. But um, we are becoming a very diverse society. And we have to be prepared. We have to be prepared to serve all our audiences. Um, we should be serving all our audiences now. We're not. Um, but we're still patting ourselves on the back. Um, nobody's getting sacked because they're not delivering on this diversity promise. You know, so the seriousness needs to be put in place now. Otherwise, we'll just find that in another 10 years, we'll be talking about, oh, maybe we can find some funding for BCOM's masterclasses. You know, and that will be totally unacceptable. Yeah, t- totally. And I, I think that so much rich, valuable information. This is, you know, I've learned so much and actually feel inspired by what you've, what, you know, what you've said today. Because it's opened my my sort of eyes to the real essence of the challenge, but also what could be done to fix it, to fix it even. Um, and it's just a case of getting everybody on board with that. I definitely do think that having some sort of sanction for for businesses that or people within businesses that don't execute diversity properly don't even acknowledge it which is which in 2019 seems insane i don't get that at all but but before you go what i wanted to say is are you looking forward to the champions league final I am. I, I, I'm absolutely looking forward to the Champions League final. Um, anyone who follows me on social media will, will know I don't hide the fact that I'm a Tottenham Hotspur fan at all. Some journalists do. <laughs> they withhold who they um, who they follow. But um, I, I just thought, nah, it's, it's going to mm-hmm. seem insincere if I, if I do that. So I'm looking forward to being in Madrid. I'm going. Um, oh, wow. It's going to be a great day, regardless of the result. I hope the players aren't thinking like I'm thinking, obviously. But for Tottenham to be in a Champions League final is just beyond the plan of being a Tottenham Hotspur supporter, in my mind. You know, it just wasn't, and certainly not at this stage. Maybe if we would have been bought out by, you know, some incredibly rich family um, and mm-hmm. we were going around buying up the best talent at the top of the game, then maybe... Um, this would have been an expectation, but even then, Manchester City have failed every year to make it to a Champions mm-hmm. League final, despite all that money. PSG haven't been in a, in a Champions League final, despite all the money. 
you know, Manchester United, look how much they've been spending, nowhere near a Champions League final um, for a long, long time. So, um, so for us to be in a final is just a complete, oh, it's just, it's dreamland. But when the whistle goes, you know, it's a football game. And if we win that, then it really will be mind-blowing. Um, I'm even considering giving up supporting Spurs if we win the championship. <laughs> it's only going to go downhill from there. I, I thought, well, <laughs> so in, I'm, I don't live too far from Leighton Orient. So actually I've got friends who play for them as well. So I might become a, a Leighton Orient <laughs> ticket holder because you're only going to be disappointed off the back of a Champions League win. That's um, as, good, as good as it gets, I guess, getting the Champions League final. But if you win it, it's a, for me, it's a 50-50 game. They're both fabulous teams to watch. I love watching them both. Although I've got, you know, friends that support either that can wipe me up periodically. So, you know, <laughs> if, if who either wins, I might have to turn my phone off a little bit because um, I'll see all the, the, the messages coming through. But I think for me, uh, I'm a neutral on a day. So from a neutral's perspective, I think we're in for a treat because I think they both play amazing football, wonderful players. If they play to their principles, I think that well, everybody that's a neutral, I think you guys, supporters, Spurs and Liverpool will be a, um, you know, it'll be a, a, a tense 90 minutes because there's so much up, up for grabs. But I think um, for neutrals, wow, two wonderful teams. Absolutely. Uh, everyone keeps telling me about penalties. They reckon it's going to go to penalties <laughs> and they reckon we're going to win. It's, it's written apparently. And to be fair, so many things have happened. Tottenham Hotspur had one point after three Champions League games. You know, yeah. we relied on Inter Milan not winning at home, you know, to go through. We got a draw in Barcelona, but that wasn't really the thing. They played a second string Barcelona 11 in that game. So we got through somehow then. Then, you know, you've got the Manchester City craziness with VAR up at the Etihad. Then we play Ajax in the semi-final. They hit that post three, four times when they should have scored across those two legs. They should have been out of sight. Um, and yet we get a last-minute winner, um, li- quite literally with you know one of the last kicks of the ball to get into the final. You know something's going on. Something is going on. And let's see if the story was meant to be. We got to yeah. the- wasn't that great? Or I've, I've- we won it. Yeah, I was listening to the radio this morning. I forget who said it actually. I forget who said it, but there was I was listening to Talk Sport and somebody was saying that he thinks it's written in the stars it's because of everything that you've just said. He chronicled pretty much word for word what you've just said and said, you know what, it just might be their year. He didn't want to hang his hat on it because you ultimately you never know because ninety minutes has to be played, but. There's been a few things that have happened along Spurs' journey. Liverpool probably can relate it to when they won it in 2005. I think there were things that happened leading up to them winning it. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching it. So I'll make sure that I've got a good vantage point to watch that. And uh, hope by the time this this episode airs, we, we know the, the result will be out there. But uh, good, good luck for that. And Leon, thank you for being an amazing guest i was so looking forward to having you on my perfect failure and it's sort of totally surpassed what i was um expectation so thank you so much and thank you all the listeners for tuning in to my perfect failure and uh i'll see you all soon take care everybody thanks for listening to my perfect failure podcast be sure to visit www.myperfectfailure.com to join the conversation subscribe to our podcast on itunes or google play look out for our next episode